Hey guys, if you want updates on our latest episodes, then be sure to subscribe to the Film Colossus podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, if you'd like to support the show and hear episodes ad-free, then subscribe to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash filmcolossus. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. My name is Chris Lambert. And my name is Travis Bean. And on today's episode, we're talking about that movie with the twist, Fight Club. It's Chris's favorite movie ever, so this is a special episode. We discuss the depth of the movie's commentary and how the meta-narrative helps the message thrive in a timeless way. Fight Club, Travis. We finally get to talk about Fight Club. You've already broken the first rule of Fight Club. Oh, oh no. <laughs> could you <laughs> get could out you of here? Go. <laughs> Could you imagine if we did the whole episode without ever... Oh, that would have been such a good idea. We just did an episode about Fight Club where we never mentioned Fight Club. We didn't talk about it the whole time. We never say the words Fight Club. Yeah, it's just that movie. Yeah, we just talk about that Winnie the Pooh movie instead where he's a a raving lunatic murderer. Yeah, what, Blood Honey? (laughs) Is that the subtitle? Yeah. and then we could also, you know, just discuss Never Been Kissed uh, for sure. those of you who have the physical version of Fight Club and know that inside joke. Um, I uh, I don't know that. I, I feel like I have a hazy memory of whatever this is, but I don't I don't know what it is. It's just on the DVD back in the day, like the original yeah. DVD and it still on the, the Blu-ray that I have. When the movie first loads, it loads up the DVD title screen of Never Been Kissed mm-hmm. and has Drew Barrymore there, all the options to play the movie in the scenes. It's all like bright and bubbly and you're just staring at it. Like, Did I get the wrong disc? What happened? And then it kind of jumps and then jumps again and then transitions into the Fight Club title screen. Mm. Drew Barrymore. She, I just watched Scream. And it's just, it's so crazy of me to think of her in that movie. Like, she was big then. Yeah. And for her to just do the open, like, it's such an iconic opening scene, too. Like, she knew it was going to be iconic. It's crazy. And I'm only mentioning Scream, honestly, because it's on the brain. A, I just watched it, but B, I did think about it a lot during this movie, because Fight Club is also kind of a meta. Well, not kind of a meta movie. It's a very meta movie. It's a very meta. Like, they... (laughs) They, oh my God, one second. Okay. There's a UPS truck outside. Ah, the dreaded UPS truck. Oh, he's walking off the truck. (laughs) Coming up to the house. Just turn the corner, coming up to the house. I just, uh, UPS was just at my house dropping off some movies I ordered. We really want to kill some time with some movie talk. I got a four-pack of Francois Truffaut movies. (laughs) Some Truffaut movies I've always wanted to watch 
that like were never really available and like i was always like ah where do i find these and then they're just suddenly available and i was like i'll buy them i got staying alive on 4k the sylvester stallone directed john travolta starring sequel to saturday night fever um and killer's kiss the stanley kubrick movie in 4k booyah Uh, how many Kubrick movies are in 4K? Several, actually. It's kind of weird. There, there are so many directors who have none, and then for Kubrick, they're like, put them all on there. <laughs> uh, for example, Fight Club, not on 4K. Is Fight Club... I feel like some foreign copy must be on 4K, but yeah, that that's weird that in the States, they haven't done that. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of 90s movies... Like, I was like, how does Boogie Nights not on 4K? You know, like, stuff like that. Like, all these big movies... So many Coen Brother movies. I don't know. It's strange. It's unfortunate. Yeah. Anyway, meta. Uh, okay. So meta. Yeah. Fight Club is very meta. I think it's the first meta movie I kind of ever, ever watched back in the day. Man. Uh, it was huge for me on this watch. I, I guess we're, we'll get into it now, right? Because uh, the wanna... lore of Chris watching Fight Club must be it's going to take up the first 30 minutes of this show. <laughs> I, I know. Yeah. If there's anything you want to get into right now. <laughs> um, well, I, I'll say that I first watched Fight Club. I mean, back when I first got in the movies, like, oh, six. IMDb, it, like Fight Club is, you know, probably in the top 20 back then. I don't know if it still is of the top 250. Um, like, it was such a huge movie. Do like it, it was almost like it was such a. A joke like it was such a cliche there were guys on my the floor of my freshman dormitory that had posters of it like dudes loved fight club and i was like all right i guess i gotta watch this fight club movie and back then i had the reaction of like it's okay but it's super overrated and i think part of me like wanted to rebel against the typical dude that likes fight club like i didn't want to be that guy um I don't know if that was really part of me, but looking back at myself, I feel like that probably was part of it. Um, and I didn't watch it again until I met Mr. Christopher J. Lambert. <laughs> uh, and I found out it was his favorite movie. And I, I I assume every time I've watched it since has been the result of you. Like, I don't know if I ever <laughs> would have watched it again. Um but I think I've seen it three times now since knowing you. Where the first time I watched it, I was like, it's better than I remember. The second time I watched it, I think I watched it like three, four years ago. I was like, okay, it's better. I'm seeing, you know, the machinations of this movie. I, I get why it transcends above like a normal movie. And this last watch for this podcast, I kind of saw the light. I, <laughs> I... It, it it just in the way it's um crafted yeah. the way it moves yeah uh, it's it, it reminds me of um i won't go as far to give it this descriptor yet maybe the next time i watch it it'll finally cement but it, it it's in the territory of what i would refer to as a perfect movie where to me like jaws is like this or total recall or something like that where it's very clear what it's about and every step of the way is pushing it towards like it's further and further realizing what it's supposed to be about and how it's supposed to be a reflection of your life and like every element of it like every tick every movement is in service of it yes and by the end 
it comes to fruition. Like it's so satisfied and so realized and so cathartic. Uh, Fight Club is very much like that. So this view and I finally got that where I was in step with it the whole time. Like I'd seen it enough. I knew what it was doing enough to where um, I was just in step with it. So uh, I, I was, it was a great watch and I'm very excited to talk about it. Uh, I makes me so happy to hear that because <laughs> <laughs> that, that was also jumping out to me. Uh, <laughs> my, uh, had you watched other Fincher movies before this or was this your first Fincher back in the day? Back, back in the day. day. I would assume it was my first. I really didn't even, I mean, David Fincher, you know, he's well respected now and his early movies were, you know, seven and the game. And we look at those movies now and we're like, oh, classics. But I think even back then, I didn't had no concept of that legacy that he was starting to build. Um, and by the time, like, I knew him, Zodiac and The Curious Case of Benjamin Button were coming out. Were, and those were movies I didn't really like back then. Mm. So I probably didn't think much of it back then. Okay. I, uh, I watched the game, but it was p- part of some TBS special, mm-hmm. and I actually thought it was a TBS movie for <laughs> years, like maybe a decade of my life. I thought the game was a TBS movie specifically, and only to find out they did some big events for airing it on cable rather oh, than really? it actually being a movie made by TBS. Wow. Um, but uh, I caught Fight Club in 2000 uh it's also number 12 on imdb right now oh wow still that high yeah Yeah. so it premiered i remember the trailers leading up to the movie and i think those kind of becoming a little bit of a joke and Mm -hmm. just thinking that it was going to be another fighting movie there have been you know action movies over the years and some silly action movies over the years that i just kind of chalked it up to that and never really thought that I would watch it mm-hmm. um, and just kind of forgot about it. So then in 2000, I had just turned, I guess, like 13 and was having a lot of sleeping issues. <sighs> so I was I was going to bed a lot of nights at four in the morning, five in the morning and would often just keep the TV on. And had HBO on and would just catch movies. It was something that my dad and I did a lot when I was like in middle school. We'd just watch movies yeah. from like 10 o'clock to 2 in the morning in the summer. Yeah. Um, and I do, that's how I saw Seven, which oh, I wow. just, rem- I saw the last like 10 minutes of Seven when I was like 11 years old. Did, didn't you and I talk about this before? Didn't we both like watch The Wall with our dad in the middle of the night? Yeah, very yeah. much so. Yes. so <laughs> such a bad move on dad's part, by the way. That's not something a child should be exposed to, especially in Twilight. Yeah, no, late night, the wall by Pink Floyd. <laughs> <laughs> when you're like a little like punch drunk and like things are kind of hazy and you don't quite understand the world, like that's not a good movie to choose. Yeah, punch drunk from it being late at night, not yes. children who were No, <laughs> no, no. Although I was sipping on some some vodka that night. What? Oh, you're getting your introduction to, like, hanging out with your dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wanted it to be a bro night, so he gave me <laughs> a, a little on the side. Um, I, But I just remember being like, what is this movie with this box? And having no idea, then that's another episode. Yeah. But uh, so I was 
catching a lot of movies just randomly that were appearing on HBO. And one night when I turned it on, I saw the last 10 minutes of this movie, starting with the van and them arguing at the van and Brad Pitt being like, you're firing a gun at your imaginary friend in front of 400 gallons of nitroglycerin and the fight that ensued and just being like, what, what am I watching? You saw the end first. I saw the end first and it just, I was obsessed with trying to figure it out, but it's HBO in 2000. So I was completely dependent on whenever it was playing next to watch the rest of it. So it was something where like over the next two weeks, I caught increasing amounts of the movie. (laughs) So the next time I put it on, it was uh, him traveling around at the end to all the different fight clubs and like the hotel room. That's where I picked it up. Yeah, right. And then I caught it another time in like the middle of the movie. And then finally I picked it up in the first like 20 minutes. So it was like the fifth or sixth time I watched the movie that I actually saw it from the beginning (laughs) to the end. And I just, I saw it that many times and having like a degree of insomnia, I was just very fascinated by a movie that was kind of speaking to somebody or speaking to insomnia and that experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was also the first movie that I'd ever watched. I mean, I'd been watching movies obsessively as a kid, but you know, the typical ones that kids kind of watch mm-hmm. or my parents didn't really have age restrictions. So I'd watch like <laughs> predator a lot, Terminator two blood sports, right? Uh, a lot of these popular movies that were kind of literary in a sense like i'd watched total recall robocop but this was the first movie that had this degree of literary quality to it and auteur craftsmanship in a way that just completely blew my mind i had never seen anything like it and this was playing at the same time as american beauty so i had a similar experience with catching parts of this and catching parts of American beauty and mm-hmm. just being like movies like this exist. Yeah. Right. There are movies like this in the world. What? Like, what? I mean, I can watch more of these late nineties was, pr- I mean, 1999 is one of the best years ever for movies. And you're just seeing all of these directors like Lynch, uh, Coen brothers, Paul Thomas Anderson, like they're all making movies like this. Yeah. Just in, in like a whole new zone. Very artistic. Of, yeah. Uh, and very different from what we have been getting, you know, from Spielberg, right? Right. Which, like, you even mentioned Total Recall, which is Paul Verhoeven, who I consider, very much consider an auteur, but, like, his are, his movies are still very Hollywood in that area, yeah. you know? Like, they feel kind of familiar in that way. Same with Spielberg, who who kind of defined that whole aesthetic. The, the All these people were mentioning felt, it almost felt like they were purposely going another direction. Yeah, I almost feel like Verhoeven in some ways probably a description I'll laugh at later, but like grunge Spielberg. Sure, yeah. Like it's or like a cheeky Spielberg, like satiric yeah. Spielberg. Yeah. Punk Spielberg. Like, yeah. As just right. <laughs> I, a lot of the same maneuvers, but with an eye to like the wink wink nudge yeah. nudge of it all. Yeah. Um so I was very blown away and pretty obsessed with Fight Club from the beginning and felt very alone because at 13, 
how many of the other kids that I knew are yeah. going to be watching Fight Club right. or allowed to watch Fight Club. And I remember even then checking some of the reviews from when the movie came out in theaters and people just dumping on it, really? hating it. It was really like f- hated when it came out because a lot of the expectation from the marketing was that this was going to be an action movie, like a mm. dumb bro fighting movie. Right. And a number of the early reviews, it's not like everybody missed the point of the movie. You have to be kind of a dunce to not think that there's a little bit more going on. Yeah. But a lot of the reviews were written by dunces who just kind of chastise it as this hollow, like, bro-heavy action movie or, like, failed attempt at an action movie. And ah, people just didn't like it. Right. I mean, the box office was $100 million, which was pretty good. That's pretty good in 1999. Yeah, but it was still, like, really kind of had a in a weird spot. And it was over the next few years that people really started embracing it and being like, oh, you know, that Fight Club movie was actually really good. It had almost like a <laughs> the Fight Club effect, right, mm-hmm. of people kind of latching onto it in the underground. And by the time, you know, we're in college, suddenly there's this whole swath of people that have made Fight Club an yeah. identity for Seven them. Seven years later. Yeah, and it becomes this thing that everybody's just like, oh my goodness, like Fight Club, actually a masterpiece, actually a masterpiece. Um, so that was that was uh, very fulfilling at that time to kind of be ahead yeah. of the curve and everybody hating fight club or not interested in it and then finally coming around to like it being awesome but then you have to deal with the fact that this movie you love becomes yeah so mainstream that it starts to you get people that miss the point of it you get people that (laughs) like it but you you almost want to gatekeep because you're like do you like it for the right reasons it's weird for the right reasons that's all i could think this whole time and not to archetype people like bros and fraternities all across the country can love this movie for whatever reason they want but i did think kind of think that the whole time like when uh tyler durden's saying things like we have no great war we have no great depression like ours is a spiritual war and all of this stuff about like the stuff you own owns you these really broad sometimes like honestly banal looks at life like these like just things you can say about life and like try to generalize a way you live your life and put you in like a certain descriptor i i feel like i can see people like hearing these lines and thinking like yeah like we do live our lives like that like we shouldn't do that and to me the the beauty of fight club is it's not about learning to live your life like that it's about finding balance in your life um, because the narrator, the character in this movie, he's torn between these two radical extremes, like who he is at the beginning, buying all the Ikea furniture, kind of like a sheep. Um, and then this rebel, this somebody who re- completely rebels against the idea of like the way you're supposed to be and goes in the opposite direction. The movie's all about like, no, like you don't need either of these mindsets that are trying to be sold to you. Like you need to like find something from within you need to discover who you are blah 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 um and it just it does make me think like a lot of people who miss the point of the movie think like you're supposed to live your life like tyler durden you know 
If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank member FDIC. Yeah, they take the the seduction of the Tyler Durden mindset as what the movie's about. And the movie's actually about, as you're saying, the duality that the IKEA stuff, the consumer sheep version is definitely wrong. But Tyler is also very wrong. <laughs> He's it's a not maniac. a way to... It's not a way to live your life. And you see what's happening to the people in Project Mayhem. Yes. Like, they are destroying their lives. It, they're no different from the narrator being overtaken by Tyler Durden. Like, they're all falling under his spell as well. Yeah. And that's essentially, like, people who were fanboying over the movie saw themselves all as Brad Pitt when they're actually like, the, the, <laughs> all, all space the followers. Monkeys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like it, 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 that's the genius of it is the narrator. Once he finds out he's seeing Tyler Durden in his visions, he's labeled as the psychotic. But everybody else who's following Tyler Durden, like, is also psychotic because they're following someone who isn't real. <laughs> they're just following the narrator's concept of how to change who he is and the kind of life he should be living. It's not really like it's not a wizened understanding of the world. He just feels pushed by society to become this completely different person and all of these people fall under that spell yeah and the way in which they (laughs) as much as he tries to mess up what they're doing or the way in which he goes against what they're doing these things that should cause them to doubt his leadership (laughs) they just rationalize and re-justify yes (laughs) which is very funny it's hilarious but also where we're at in society at this point with stan culture is it's really just Stand ahead of the curve as well of everything you know yeah from celebrities I, to like whatever politician you've put all your faith in yeah it's it's wild the tribalism these days and how eager people are to rationalize everything through the frame of their tribe yeah and fight club is kind of doing that in 1999 uh, just the reliance on technology the <laughs> Uh, the tribalism that occurs, its commentary on consumerism that's going on. I feel like the movie could come out today and still, it's still incredibly relevant. It'll always be relevant. Yeah. And I think just looking at the movie from a broader point of view and taking everything in mind that you just said, like kind of what the movie is about and what it's calling out, like the, the sort of satire of the movie, it's that is infused in every aspect of the movie in such an entertaining way. Like the movie is funny. It, it's, it's constantly got this like dark humor. Like when the people are like, his name was Robert Paulson. Like they're just completely missing the point of what the narrator is saying and just like creating some new chant or when they're going to cut his dick off in the police station. Like they just <laughs> don't get it. His balls. To his balls. such. Or yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they might've gone off the, for the dick too. Yeah. If you put up a struggle. <laughs> Um, but th- their stupidity is like so over the top that it's it's satire. Like it's funny, yet mm-hmm. the further and further it goes that direction, like 
the more intense and scary it becomes. Mm-hmm. And as you're saying, like, it's really not that different from what you see in real life. So like the, 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 the comedy of it becomes like a little troubling. It's, it's just really cool how the whole tone and nature of this movie it, it explores all these topics. Like this movie could have very well just been a straightforward. Maybe not. It, I, he, you know, he's a he's seeing somebody in his head. He's like a schizophrenic. Like that is extreme. But you could still see this being a more normal like thriller or something or a drama, where yeah. someone just is in a headspace and needs to get out of it. Fincher. I mean, this to me is this is the David Fincher blueprint here. Like the way he decides to take this topic and this kind of character and explore them, the way the movie moves, uh, just the graphics of the movie, the way it like zooms around the city and around Tyler Durden's life or around the narrator's life. uh, It's just so perfectly done. um, And so realized in a very unique way. Like I couldn't help but notice this whole movie, you know, David Fincher, one of the key parts of his aesthetic these days is it's a very pale color palette. Yeah. Uh, but in this movie, it's shadowy as fuck. Like the yeah. shadows in this movie are insane. Usually movies are lit to where like there are shadows, you know, like in a film noir, there are shadows, but they're done in a more designery, flowery way where they like, kind yeah. of accent them. Like in this movie, like, you only see like an eighth of Tyler Durden's face when he's in the basement <laughs> and it's like shroud. Like that's cool. And it's part of this movie and what it's saying and how it's exploring its characters. Uh, it's just such a Fincher movie through and through in that way that it was so delightful for me to like watch this movie knowing like, Oh, it's only his third movie or something. And he's, he's got it. Like, this is it. This is how his movies are going to be from now on. It's kind of, I mean, I think about Fincher, lately though i haven't seen mank oh really but when i think of zodiac or even the curious case of benjamin button it seems like post fight club there was almost a settling down of the camera to Mm. where not as much as villeneuve how we talked about with (laughs) uh kind of the freaking minimalism yeah the the staticness and minimalism of 2049 and dune and even somewhat with arrival but definitely more so than Fight Club to where Zodiac feels very tense and patient. Right. And even uh, Curious Case of Benjamin Button has this kind of, I am being above it all and taking a much more, uh, not omniscient perspective, mm. but look how refined I am now. Yes. Uh, which is just funny to go back to Fight Club and see that it, there's so much chaos going on yeah. in the movie. It, but it, it made me think of The Social Network, actually, because the last oh, yeah. time I watched The Social Network, I was like, it wasn't hitting the same. Like, I used to love that movie. Yeah. And rewatching Fight Club now, I'm like, I feel like I kind of see what it is. It, it is. It's sort of what you're talking about, where Social Network, like, it kind of has the same um, approach like it is brashly comedic. Uh, the characters are overblown. They're devilish. It, it, there's something like just extra about everything, yet it's moving so much more slowly. Um, even though like the movie is edited 
very well. Uh, the transitions between, like, it's such a the Sorkin thing where, like, somebody's talking and it leads into this and it leads into that, you know? Like, it has the David Fincher feel, but it's not like Fight Club. Like, Fight Club, I guess it just feels, the vitality of Fight Club, to me, is what stuck out this time. Like, there's there's such intensity and energy to everything, yet at the same time, like, you don't ever feel behind. Like, you always feel in step and with it. Um, that there's something about that approach that to me is just so much more appealing than where he eventually went. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I still really love, he's, I he's love great. Zodiac. I love button. I yeah. love social network and especially girl with the dragon tattoo. I think that's yeah. my second. It's all good stuff. Fincher. Yeah. But there is just such an energy and pizzazz to fight club. And what you said earlier about like the perfect movie in terms of not just, perfect in the sense of greatness Mm -hmm. but perfect in the sense of everything being in service to what it's trying to say and what it's trying to do Uh, it's the most perfect movie to me that i've ever watched in that (laughs) regard Mm -hmm. like every shot every line of dialogue all the mise-en-scene choices it all accentuates and establishes everything that's going on thematically and narratively in such a way that it's just I'm blown away by every moment in the movie and that was the thing that jumped out to me this time too because it's been I've seen Fight Club definitely over 20 times but it's been three or four years since I last watched it like I, I think I last watched it before COVID and so this is the longest I've gone without seeing it and just the vitality of the camera work and how much is going on, not just in the the foreground or the focus of each scene, mm-hmm. but in the midground and the background. And the way in which the camera moves, the dynamics of the shot range and shot selections. Like we've talked a lot on the show about uh, static camera or long takes versus um, like cameras that move or a yeah. lot of cuts. And I feel Fight Club's just a perfect example of the middle ground of all of that to where some shots linger. But every time it cuts, I don't know where the camera's going to go. I mean, I know at this point because I've seen it so much, but in the sense of there's not a rhythm or a pattern that it really falls into to where it almost feels like every single shot is doing something interesting and it's framing in what it has going on in some part of the mise-en-scene, whether it's the color palette, whether it's the extras or actors or just the the design space around the character or the lighting, as you're saying, with the shadow, uh, the shadows at various parts. I'm forever just interested in where it's going next with the editing. (laughs) And I barely get that from any movie. Yeah. It's something that I realized in the the years, the many movies I've watched since I last watched this, how much I crave what Fight Club's doing and how few filmmakers actually, I don't know, have the skill to do it or the budget to do it. I mean, it's not like yeah. this budget was great, but or the, the, the maybe vision. it's not in vogue. Yeah, maybe just the vision to be able to accomplish it. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but Fincher with this movie had it. I think a big moment for me was um, where I had already had a sense 
that the movie had a meta narrative. I mean, the movie doesn't really hide it, I guess. Um, <laughs> but uh, the scene where Tyler Durden's giving the speech to the camera and the, the film reels are kind of shaking around him. Yeah. Um, it, 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 like something clicked while I was watching it and I had just watched scream. And to me, the beauty of scream is it's so obvious with the meta horror thing um, in a way that the more meta it becomes, the more reflective of reality to me it becomes. And to me, this is kind of a beauty of horror, of meta movies in general, that when you place a character in a meta movie, either they're aware of the archetypes or tropes they're supposed to follow, or we're just extra aware of them. So it becomes this dance of them trying to form their own identity and rebel against what is expected of them and this narrative that we're all so familiar with. Uh, and to me, Scream just does it better than probably any movie ever, where Sydney's whole journey is to kind of, she's in this dance of figuring out what happened with her mom and who she really was and whether it defines her as well. Like if she's going to follow in her footsteps kind of, or she's going to go in a new direction. Like there's, in the whole time, Billy's pushing her to be a certain way and pushing her to be in this horror movie and she's battling back against it. It's so cool. Fight Club does that to like, like scream kind of does it in a one Oh one sort of way where like, that's why I like it. Like it's, it's, it's so easy to grasp <laughs> and I love it. Fight club is like, Oh my God. Like it, the, it, it's not really a complaint I have about fight club, but it is, it's such a dense movie. It's kind of, and it's not that it, even that it's difficult to understand, as we've said, like it, it kind of lays everything out for you. You understand it, but because there's so much going on, it's a little hard I guess I don't know how to phrase it. It's just a harder movie to understand, I guess. <laughs> like, it's just denser. There, There's more to it in a way. Um, and that scene where the, the the film reels are shaking, like, it kind of, like, it shakes you into realizing that what you're watching really is in somebody's head. Like, it is part of a narrative being crafted for them. And that's the beauty of Fight Club is, like, where Scream, uh, it's using horror movies as the the structure where like Sydney needs to break out of this horror movie but in Fight Club it's life like this this life you're supposed to live what's been decided for you and the narrator is constantly caught within that like he's even called the narrator like if it, this movie is almost about storytelling in that way and in making stories or making movies and and being within the movie and like being expected to do this or that um, so I just think that's really genius for it to like be meta in that way. Like it's such an interesting way to use meta. Like it's not meta like scream or like, Oh, it's a horror movie. It's meta in the way that like, we're all kind of living this story. Like we're all caught up in a story and like, we're supposed to be acting a certain way, you know? Yeah. It's, it's similar to Truman show almost Sure, yeah. in the commentary Truman show is making about this guy's life has become <laughs> Uh, a television show or is scripted in this way, which makes you start thinking about your own life and the implications, not of like somebody scripting your life, but just in the sense of, are you behaving in a way or falling under the influence of some of these things in society that try to shape us and guide us, which is what fight club talks about with consumerism. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like, we're all the characters in this consumerism movie that are supposed to be 
doing things a certain way and he's essentially breaking out of the movie or also accepting the movie but also kind of destroying the movie it's, yeah totally it opens up a lot of conversation points you even have the the dialogue between them when you come back to them in the building and he says i still haven't thought of anything and brad pitt laughs and goes ah flashback humor yeah it's like, yeah that's that's such a they clearly know that they're having flashbacks in a movie but what does that mean for us how are we supposed to take that that's such a small part that has it's an iceberg of it little moments in the movie but the implications of them and the ways in which you can take them are huge but you're already trying to kind of wrap your mind around everything it's saying about consumerism relationships that's what i meant is like screams kind of easy in that way but like fight club they're like 10 things you have to pay attention to yeah and i mean some of the movie as much as the movie is about society and the self you could also look at it as (laughs) a very existential or defamiliarized existential struggle of this guy in his 30s settling into a relationship and it's just a a very dramatic and over-the-top way of showing somebody who is immature going through all of these deep (laughs) uh philosophical existential revolutionary things that part of dating somebody that you really care about and realizing that you want to commit to them and be in this relationship with them and having to get over yourself and get over the previous things that had kind of defined you mm-hmm. and redefining yourself because of this relationship. I think as I've gotten older and watching this movie, you know, in my early twenties versus mid twenties versus early thirties versus now at 36, the importance of Marla's character stands out to me so much yeah to where especially on this watch she was almost the most interesting thing in the movie to me she's Uh, a hell of an actress yeah i (laughs) she's crushing it start to finish the 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 way in which she conveys the emotional journey that her character goes on while also having such little screen time with which to do it is really cool the vulnerability she starts to show in different points in time totally the way in which she reacts knowing that tyler is tyler but tyler yeah. not knowing yeah, especially tyler. when you rewatch the movie and you know what the twist is like you really do see like her beat by beat reaction to like god i really like this guy but something's wrong with him yeah and <laughs> just the the little subtle facial uh, reactions that she has to things that he's saying and doing the way in which she's trying to be patient with him, try different approaches with him. Uh, it was just very fascinating to me. Every choice she was making and every moment she was on screen. Uh, and just the fact that he's such a maniac <laughs> when he's just on his own or left to his own devices but finding this balance as part of trying to be ready for a relationship with her. Yeah. Yeah. Was pretty fascinating to me. I mean, the ending again, perfect movie. 
cathartic at the end. Like the ending perfectly caps off everything you're saying in this journey he has of Marla. I mean, a big part of the movie is the narrator lacks a sense of humanity. Like he has no identity. You know, it, it, there's no humanity to his life pre-Tyler Durden where he's just like buying all the Arkea furniture and doing a mindless job and doesn't really think about how to enhance or fulfill his life. Uh, and Tyler seemingly presents an option, like a path, but really all Tyler's doing is dehumanizing people as well. Like he gives these big, broad statements that really in the end just group everybody into this box where, you know, you're supposed to be living this kind of life, but you need to do this instead. And all in the end, all you're doing is just rebelling and creating mayhem, which is like no way to live and doesn't foster, doesn't create like a healthy foundation to build something new. Uh, it's all this dance to, again, go back to the middle where you can see these two extremes and realize like where you can center yourself. And in the center is where he has real relationships. And he starts to realize how much Tyler is dehumanizing both himself and uh, everybody that's part of Project Mayhem as he gets pulled deeper and deeper into it. Like when Bob dies and everybody's like, he doesn't have a name. We don't have names to Project Mayhem. And he's like, no, this man had a name. He, he it's the first time we see him like genuinely caring about somebody. And maybe even him in that moment is realizing like, Oh God, like I cared about him. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I'm not like he starts to see like what fight club has done to him and what everything is around him. Like that. It doesn't stand like it's no way to live. Um, and so, yeah, Marla, it definitely fits into that. Like that's the moment he realizes like, I actually care about, like I want to be with her I want to make this work but before I can I need to fix this Tyler Durden problem um yeah so I just love that about the movie and this viewing just it was the first time I realized how delicately handled the main character was because the movie it gives off the feel of it's very brash it's very violent uh, it's kind of broy. <laughs> uh, you, you don't think of it as like, oh, it's like a nice character study about somebody fixing their life, but it, it really is. Yeah, the fact that I mean, there have been a lot of comments on the current article, which is just about the ending of Fight Club, mm -hmm. uh, saying that Marlo wasn't real in the movie. Oh god! And we even got one. I got like the email while we were talking <laughs> from Whoa. somebody saying the same thing uh that marla in the books is just a manifestation which or in the book uh is just a manifestation another personality uh -huh. but i think even then the movie clearly went in a different direction i don't think there's any evidence in the movie to point to marla just being another personality mm, um, no but even then it would it's still like the same thing of like if he's encapsulating all of this <laughs> masculine angst about who you're supposed to be, who you think you're supposed to be, who the world's telling you that you should be, and really coming back to just who he is. There is something about needing that balance of the, the feminine energy to where if you're all just alpha male all the time <laughs> and trying to be that, you're like probably crazy or yeah. driving yourself crazy. Oh. Most of us embody both the the yin and the yang aspects, right? Yes. Uh, the masculine and the feminine. There's the 
having both. So at the end of the movie, whether she's real or not, having them holding hands and having that counterpoint to the insane <laughs> masculine uh, crisis that he had been going through is a pretty important part of everything that the the movie's saying. But yeah, it does make me think about the book. Have you you haven't read the book? No. Have you? I've tried uh, multiple times, and I don't, I don't like it very much. Yeah, that's fair. I I feel like I can tell what lines from the book are put in the like when he's saying "I am Jack's like self consciousness" or something. You know, like that feels like such a book line. Yeah, so many of the the one liners. I think Chuck Palahniuk is really good at the one liners. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That was the thing. I've tried to read a few of his books, and I just. Because I, I write fiction. Uh, maybe I am better unfairly thinking this about him, but it's just every time I read a line by him, I just imagine him patting himself on the back, <laughs> being like, oh, that was a cool line. It's a control S moment, like save, all right, I've done enough work today. Yeah, like, oh, I just crushed that line. Was it that cool? Was it that cool? It's, <laughs> it's a lot of these lines that feel like somebody aware that they're trying to impress you with them rather than necessarily them being like the best line for the story. Right. It's there's just such a, like an artifice to his writing to me, which is probably a little unfair. I know so many people like him. I know in Portland, he's done a lot for the writing community. So it's not like a shot at Palinuk. It's just, it's his just writing a, style does not. It's a style. Yeah yeah fit my <laughs> my reading but even in the parts that i've tried to read of the book it's so different and so much more almost like a comic book or absurdist in the things that are happening that the movie really did contain the book <laughs> yeah in some ways or make the book a lot more grounded and realistic uh maybe one day i'll finish it but uh, hmm. I, I should have mentioned this earlier and I even thought about this when I was thinking about the meta nature of this film but y you saying that people think Marla might be a fictional character a figment of his imagination to me that's just the success of this movie that someone could have that reading because Tyler Durden he is literally a figment of the narrator's imagination and thus in a meta narrative where we're thinking about the rules of stories and movies Tyler Durden represents what any character in a movie ever represents. They are everybody, and you can extend this to your life as well. Like people are just extensions of yourself, mirrors of yourself, or you look at somebody and say, like, oh, they're, you know, this guy reads a lot of books. Like, I need to read more books. Or that guy's an asshole. I don't want to act like him. Like everyone is a counter to you in that way. Um, and especially in in movies and stories like that. That's why certain attributes are focused on. That's why some things are exaggerated about people. Like they're all meant to highlight something about the character we're following that we care about. And it's part of that character's arc. Uh, so the narrator here, he sees Tyler Durden. He, he just learns like, okay, I don't want to live that way. Um, Marla to me, just everybody in the movie could be that really anybody in any movie could just be a figment of your imagination in quotes and that like, all movies are about just our internal landscape and this yeah. sort of journey we're on. Um, and everybody we encounter is just part of that journey, part of whatever 
simulation we're in. And so I, I could see people looking at Marla and thinking like, she's also just part of that formula. Yep. Yeah, I absolutely. <laughs> Which, yeah, that as somebody who loves meta movies, like to me, that is just so badass to there's the very idea of Tyler Durden. Like he is, he's the most meta character ever. Yeah, it's he is the character. Right? Yeah, he's the, not real. <laughs> no, he's just a figment. And I mean, in some ways, only really visually there for the movie. Right. No, it's like it's, this movie could have been the exact same story, but Tyler Durden's not there. And you're just watching the narrator character go through the same ticks emotions, same character arc pushes Marlowe away, realizes his humanity at the end, like blah, 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 and then realizes he wants to be with her. Like, that could just be a normal story. I mean, it's not too different than Memento, right? Sure, yeah. I mean, Memento, he's not, ha doesn't have this alternate personality, but with his right memory issues, he kind of has this other version of him who's yes. doing things, but it's a lot more grounded in its approach, where Fight Club's a lot more bombastic in its approach. Yes. Um, and Memento is a much more traditional thriller. Yep. I mean, it's a Nolan movie. He's making it for the masses. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the really the difference in Nolan, like, just in general yes. to me. I know the podcast has become, like, punch on Nolan randomly in episodes, but... We'll do an Inception episode where we just praise him, okay? Yeah, that that's that's will happen. But you compare Memento to Fight Club, and I get why some people would prefer Memento to Fight Club, but I just feel like it's so drastically uh, not even close in terms of the craftsmanship on display between both movies. Mm -hmm. And uh, Memento's still a really well-made, yeah, dynamic, interesting movie. It's not trying to say that it's bad in any way, but it's just relative to Fight Club. Yeah. This... <laughs> It's night and day to me. It, I feel like also, too, you look at a movie like Memento and you might think it's smart compared to something like Fight Club, which can give off the image of, like, brutish <laughs> or, like, uh, blockheaded, kind of, or caveman, Neanderthalish, you know? Like, it's just so, like... And I think that's just part of its reputation and, like, all the bros liking it and just taking out lines from the movie uh, and just the general like look of it and feel of it like it's such a dude movie in the most generic sense that I feel like that I did that with Fight Club like to me Fight Club wasn't a smart movie like at most it could be a fun movie with an interesting twist uh, but obviously it's the more you dig into it and the more we're talking about it here you just realize all it's doing yeah I think that there's I mean it's a really not a great comparison and there's going to be people that are just like, yes, yes, you've said great things. And then what I'm going to say next, people are going to be like, you completely <laughs> lost me. Now you just sound like a dumb film, bro. But I feel, I feel like Joker it gets a it's similar to Joker in that there's a very superficial way of taking this movie. Right. A lot and, of people did that with Joker. And if you do that, then, of course, you think this movie, Joker, are superficial. But that there's a craftsmanship to each of those movies and subtextual layers to each of the movies that make them a bit more than what they are. 
Fight Club, I would argue it's a lot more than what they are. I don't think Joker is even close to Fight Club in terms of quality, but I think they're similar in the fact that you have people that look at them very superficially, judge them very superficially, and then feel superior to them (laughs) while missing the iceberg components. Yeah, right. And it's not like Joker has all that much more going on. Right. But there's more than what a lot of people will give it credit for. And that gets exhausting to kind of encounter all the time. And same with Fight Club. It, that reminds me of what I was saying about Scream earlier. And, you know, Scream and Fight Club are polar opposites in that way that both are easy to follow. Like, you know what Fight Club's about, but, like, there's more to follow. Like, there are more threads, I guess, in Fight Club. Where Scream, there are threads. Like, there are, like, sub-themes and extensions of the meta nature of the movie. But they're not, like, super complex or anything. Like, they're laid out very thin for you. Um, is that the right phrasing? They're just laid out for uh, you. <laughs> yeah, laid out for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the way that like I would think of that about Joker, like, and and that's just a stylistic approach to a movie. It doesn't make your movie stupider. It doesn't make it less complex. It's just you've chosen a broader path, kind of like a more open path. Um, it's a more to me. It, it, you could argue it's just more a more engaging path, like you're totally like seeing the machinations of the movie and you just get what it's saying. Um, and it, but still something like scream, there's plenty to dig into with that. Like you can be broad, but be really smart about the things you are saying and have very detailed characters and interesting arcs. Like there are just plenty of different ways to go about constructing a character and a theme in a movie. Um, and I feel like Joker does kind of fall into that camp where it's not difficult per se, like you get what the movie is, but the character's just so interesting the way they handle him and the commentary is sort of so broad about society that there's just so many conversations to have within it and then it, because of it the movie becomes more and more interesting the more you think about it and talk about it. Yeah. To some people. Yeah, but <laughs> you're right because it's simple. I just feel like people have that attitude about something that's I I mean, I'm a, a lot, lifelong defender of showgirls, and I feel like it suffers from that curse that, like, it is what it is, like, so flamboyantly on the surface that people hate it. Um, and it's what makes me love it. Yeah. I mean, we saw the same thing with other Verhoeven in terms of the right. re- initial reaction to Robocop, the initial reaction to Starship Troopers. Yeah. Uh, there can be... <laughs> there can be... When there's an obvious layer and then some less obvious talking points and more nuanced talking points. A lot of the time, if people didn't like the obvious layer or the movie's getting praised too much, then they latch on to the obvious layer as a point of criticism Mm -hmm. and only see that. Yep. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Keep loving Fight Club and keep loving Showgirls. That's what. Yeah. You know, there's a... Palinuk wrote a sequel to Fight Club. I do. See, isn't Marla in the sequel? Yeah, yeah. So wait, she's not imaginary in the book then, right? I mean, there's something to be said about maybe she was intentional and like she was in the one and then it's retconned a little bit. Or maybe huh. she's still a figment in the second one. Uh, I just remember 
reading that takes place 10 years later mm-hmm. and they just had a kid, mm-hmm. I think, or have a young kid and apparently Tyler's back. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, what's the point of the first, what's the point of the first story then? It, and getting rid of Tyler if he's just going to come back and you have to do the whole thing over. That's again. a tough sell because you could see it working in a sense that, oh, he's a dad now and he's facing a whole new set of challenges and pressures in a way that Tyler Durden's aura can comment on. It's just tough when Tyler Durden is literally a character <laughs> and has been killed and is just like coming back. Like it's tougher to make that journey interesting when you know he's not real. And now the narrator is just going through a regular journey that any person would go on, you know, in a, in a normal story. Yeah, it just becomes having a sounding board. Yeah, but uh, and maybe he makes it work, though. I don't know. I haven't read it. I never will. <laughs> I probably maybe won't either. The <laughs> maybe they'll make the movie and they'll find a way to improve it. <laughs> yeah, venture, get on it. Uh, um, I don't. Was there anything else that jumped out to you? Any like favorite scene, least favorite scene? Why don't you talk about your favorite scene and I'll think about it. My favorite moment is still early in the beginning when he's talking about insomnia. Because <laughs> so yeah. many movies that I had watched up to that point were just fun adventures, right? Or fantastic things that might never happen to me. I had never really watched a movie at that point that was just a thing I was going through. I mean, aside from... You know, little big league. No, not even little big league. I wasn't owning a major league baseball team, but you know, Sandlot, something like that. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, where you're like a kid playing sports. Uh, Most movies were just these big adventurous things. Uh, So having Fight Club have this moment where he's talking about insomnia and that whole stretch of him having insomnia and describing insomnia and there's that moment where he's standing in the office and he said everything is a copy of a copy of a copy and it's a shot of the office you see him standing at the copy Hmm. machine and he looks up and it's just i don't know what the lens is that they used but it widens the uh the scene but also flattens the depth of field so everything kind of feels collapsed in on each other and Hmm. I remember pointing to the screen like I was Leonardo DiCaprio in the meme uh, from Wolf of Wall Street, where he's just like, oh, that thing. I, I was just, That's exactly what it's like. That sense of distance but closeness and the weird way in which the world suddenly seems flat because you're so sleepy mm-hmm. that everything has just kind of muffled out and is losing its texture. It's the only shots, which is, we have a lot of attempts in film mm-hmm. to capture uh, the the visual experience of something. Like if somebody's feeling sick, the camera might, right. you know, go first person and kind of drift around if somebody's kind of like falling left and right and a little dizzy, right. that kind of thing. Uh, or if they're passing out and you see the edges start to creep in. We have these times where the camera tries to mimic perception. Mm -hmm. But usually it's very obvious things like that. It's mimicking the movement. It's mimicking the uh, darkening of the vision. 
this is the one time I can think where the camera has captured the experience of insomnia. It's something that's that weird and that nuance just through the depth of field and the framing and what it's showing and the movements of the people. I've never seen anything else like it in all the movies I've ever watched. Yeah. It's pretty great. And I love it so much. I did think of you yeah. during that scene. Yeah. <laughs> it's all your talk of insomnia. Yeah. It's a bitch. <laughs> um, okay. So I'll say that I, I think if I had to pick like a favorite part, it's probably just the ending in general. Yeah. Just everything that happens. At the end. But I will say I was m- most struck by the scene where Bob dies and the narrator having that moment of like, this was a person, you maniacs. And then like just the comedic misunderstanding of what he's saying. Like, that whole scene is great. But yeah. I'll say that the thing I love the most about this movie, and I've already said it, I was just eating it up, is the shadows. Like, I oh, really, yeah. really, really love the book look of this movie. It, it just made me think of the rest of David Fincher's movies and how, like, they look similar, but, like, they don't look like this. Like, I don't think any movie looks like this. I, I just love how in the dark so many of the characters are the whole time. Like, there's no light anywhere ever. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's awesome. It's just, there's such a vibrancy. And the, the dark comedy, this movie, yeah. this in American Psycho, which I always feel... <laughs> There's always a part of me that's like, should this be concerning to me? The American Psycho and Fight Club make me laugh so much as these (laughs) darkly comic uh, satires of society. Mm. But they're hilarious to me. They they make me laugh so much. (laughs) Okay. So we're going to rank this bitch or what? Oh, yeah. I mean. I wonder where Chris has it. I mean, we did Blade Runner recently, and that became your number one, correct? Yeah, yeah. Blade Runner went to the top of my all-time rankings. Um, It's definitely an all-time movie for me, but Fight Club is my all-time favorite movie. It's the one. So, Yeah, it's the one. It's, I mean, at this point, probably going to forever be the one. I I said to my wife when it ended, I was, I said... uh, you know, if this came out today, I think it would still be my number one. Yeah. I would just see it and say, oh, there was also a point that she brought up was about uh, when Marla calls for help. And it was something that I didn't really pick up on before is the fact that Tyler shows up, right? Tyler mm-hmm. and takes her out of the place. And she says, you have to keep me up all night. And there's this sense of, oh, maybe he did save her or help her but the emts and medics were right there Uh and would have got there just a few minutes after him right and would that have been a tipping point for her to where she finally would have gotten help would have gotten treatments could she have been on a better path uh after hitting that kind of rock bottom wow yeah and did tyler actually derail her from finding some kind of help in progress yeah wow i didn't think of that either which is kind of fascinating to think about i do think by the end of the movie it seems like she's in a better place Mm -hmm. at least the way in which she's interacting with tyler her energy it 
seems like she's like feeling better, but you also have to wonder what would have happened had people not Tyler Durden been the ones to rescue her and try helping her. Yeah. Wow. This movie's got layers. It's got layers, man. Um, so for the record, the, these rankings we're doing, they're not every movie we've ever seen. We started ranking movies in 2022. Uh, Chris, how long is your list? Uh, my list right now is at 162. Okay. And this is number one, so it's in the top like 1%. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's... <laughs> my list is now up to 464 movies. Okay. And I've got Fight Club. I, I have, like Chris, I have my rankings segmented out into like categories. So this for me is in the third category of everything in like the third category and above to me are just like they're special movies. Like they achieve something like they're good. There are movies that I think are in the category below. It's like movies that are better than I expected movies to be like they transcend a little bit and then this next category to me is like I have a connection to it that is special that is profound um, like I, I see what it's doing and it's speaking to me and it's commenting on my life and I I consider it special in that sense um, so I have it in that category and I have it at number 77 okay that's uh, it's pretty high for your list that's top 20% yeah so way up there and I, I as i said before every time i've watched it it's gotten better so maybe the next time i watch it 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 gets into like that super special category new number one <laughs> that would be wild <laughs> what's currently i like this idea of picking a random number on the list and just asking sure. what movies at that number uh, what's your number 10 right now my number 10 right now is lawrence of arabia okay What's your number 10, Chris? I need to watch it. Uh, My number 10, which is so not representative. (laughs) That's how a few of the... Yeah, mine... I need to rewatch so many of the movies that I like legitimately love. I don't even think this would be in my top 100. (laughs) Uh, But right now, my at number 10 is All Quiet on the Western Front. (laughs) A movie I have not seen. Yeah, the, the 2022 Netflix one. It's just really like really good yeah i mean world war ii movies are i think hard to make unique mm-hmm. and this one i don't know it's it's kind of feels generic in ways but it just builds so impressively and has so many scenes where i'm just like i don't know how they did that <laughs> yeah someday i might watch it i i think modern war movies are like the least interesting to me like not that they're bad but it's just not in my nature to want to go watch a movie like that yeah i go back and forth on them it's it's a genre that i feel is pretty limited a lot of the time Mm -hmm. you kind of know what's going to happen and why it's happening yeah right but i mean thin red line 1917 i love I mean, thin red lines awesome yeah all quiet on the western fronts is great like so and glorious bastards right sure, is another yeah. very unique take so 
there are very unique takes out there, but I'm always really hesitant when I first see one that it's just going to be very vanilla. I feel like I've only watched the ones that everyone agreed weren't good, and I agreed. Like, I watched Midway, <laughs> and what was the other one? I Oh, oh no, everybody likes Dunkirk. I didn't like Dunkirk, though. Um, but and I haven't yeah. watched All Quiet in the Western Front in 1917. Like, I'm just choosing the wrong ones. Oh, man. 1917 on 4K? I definitely, just because you like it so much, I'm going to take the plunge someday, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I, I, on paper, I wonder if it's going to annoy me. I mean, <laughs> it has a lot of long takes. Isn't it one long take? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's so well done. Yeah. No, I, I, we've talked about, as you said, we've talked about the show several times. I like it when it's done well. Yeah. I think it's a very unique take on the one take. All right. Yeah. It's, it'll happen. Okay. Uh, what are we doing next? <laughs> well, I feel like last time we talked, we had like two options. We were like, oh, we're going to do one of these two, and we chose Fight Club. Oh, I think we had talked about Shutter Island. Yeah. I would. It also makes me. Go ahead. I was going to say maybe we should do Scream. The article will be up for Scream, um, and people like it, and it's October. Yeah, it seems kind of fitting. I'll, I will do Scream. Okay, I'll do Scream. All right. It's a date. <laughs> All right, same time, same place. <laughs> yeah, probably. Beautiful. Um, but until then, we're going to wrap things up. Need everyone to shut up. We can need it quiet on set for this part. Okay, you ready, Chris? I'm ready to see what the hell happens with our timing. All right, lights, camera, see ya. See ya. God. Uh, yeah, no, a little off, a little off. One time. <laughs> <laughs>